Our reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 2, and you can find it on the third page of your daily sheet. 1 John chapter 2. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Thank you so much, Trevor, for leading us in our reading and uh, in the prayers earlier on. Appreciate that very much indeed. Do keep open that passage uh, in front of you this morning as uh, we're going to be looking at it uh, together right now. Let's pray, shall we, for the Lord's help. Lord of life and love, we pray that you would shine your light into our hearts now as we look at your word. We pray that your spirit would help us to understand it and to take it into our hearts and to respond in the way which would most honour you and your Son. Amen. I was uh, flicking through uh, the channels uh, the other day and uh, came across a programme which interested me. Uh, It was called Fake, the Great Masterpiece Challenge on on Sky Arts. I've not seen it before. But the the general idea of of the programme is that a contemporary artist... um, Fakes account of it's one of the um, one of the great masters, and uh, they uh, get him or her to do this, and then they hang the picture up on the wall in a major uh, gallery, something like a national gallery or something, and uh, they leave it there for a month, and they wheel in uh, the ordinary public, and then lots of art critics and um, art students, and they they tell them that there's a fake in this particular particular room, maybe a dozen paintings or so, and they say, well, you know, try and, try and spot it. And you can probably guess um, how many actually managed to get it right. 
Well, of the experts, it's usually in the, the realm of about 25% of the experts who get it right. 75% obviously get it uh, wrong. They can't actually spot uh, the fake that's there. Well, in this um, dark world, not only are there fake paintings, but there are fake religious claims as well. And that should be a real concern for all people, whether we call ourselves a Christian or not. We want to, to spot um, fake uh, religious uh, claims, don't we? And um, it's important we, we spot them not simply because of uh, pride, as in the TV program, don't want to be red-faced about it all, um, but because John says that what is at stake is eternal life. The Apostle John is in this letter writing to ordinary Christians and he's writing them to help them spot the fake and to recognize the real. And in the church that he's writing to, there's been something of a, of a bust-up as we've been seeing these past weeks. A group of uh, people who, not just any people, these are familiar faces, have been going around making some confident claims, spurious but confident claims, to a superior spirituality and knowledge of God. And John is writing into that context to say to those who have remained, don't believe the hype. Don't believe that propaganda that they're, they're putting forth. They are fake Christians. And the way in which you can spot these fake Christians, he says, is by their attitude and actions towards real believers, towards Christians. Now, last week uh, in verses 5, right the way through to chapter 1, verse 5 to 2, verse 2, we saw that the, f- the first way in which you can spot a, a fake Christian is their attitude to sin, and Shaq reminded us of it earlier on, that, that a true Christian will say that they are a sinner and that they need the remedy for sin in the Saviour and his death upon the cross, where the fake Christian will um, deny and downplay their own sin and therefore will tend to downplay and denied, d- deny um, their need of the cross. Of course, it follows. If you're not a sinner, then you don't, you don't actually need uh, a cross, do you, to, f- to forgive you? So that was the first sort of test, if you like, of the, the real and the fake. And we come to the second one today in these verses, chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. And, and we see that the, the second test is all about your attitude and your action towards uh, real, ordinary Christians, whether you love them or whether you hate them. It's a strong word, I know, hate, but um, it, is, it is what it is. And what John wants to say first of all is that those who don't know God... Here's his first point. Those who don't know God hate Christians. Now, the leavers, those who have left, the departed, are making three claims. And it's in the passage, and it's slightly obscured by the NIV translation, but I think we can, we can see it clearly enough. So there, in verse 4, whoever says or whoever claims, I know him, Then in verse 6, if you can see it there, whoever claims to live in him. And verse 9, anyone who claims to be 
in the light. So here we have uh, three claims um, put together to a kind of intimate knowledge and fellowship with God and to a superior spirituality. So I know him, it's a claim to intimate knowledge. Uh, I live in him, it's a claim to fellowship with God. And I am in the light, I'm the enlightened one, is a claim to superior spirituality. <clears throat> now, of course, uh, talk is one thing, isn't it? Talk can be uh, pretty cheap. I remember as a sixth former uh, standing uh, on the football pitch about to kick off with uh, a friend of, of mine. And I remember uh, turning around and saying, right, plenty of talk today, lads. Talk's pretty important, uh, playing football. So I have plenty of, ch- plenty of chat amongst us. And uh, my friend, um, <clears throat> Carl, but we'll, we'll call him Cool Carl because Carl had a kind of oasis kind of, uh, kind of haircut which was trendy at the time and he, he wore his football socks around his, his ankles and probably didn't wear shin pads because that was the, the cool thing to do and he was, he was a brilliant football player uh, as well. And I, and I said to him, come on, come on lads, plenty of talk today. And uh, he sort of turned to me, uh, looked up and said, I'm going to let these do the talking today. And I can't remember what happened. He probably scored a hat-trick or, or something like that, knowing him. But talk is one thing, isn't it? And, and the point is really that, that action is, is something else. And those who are the false teachers who have left uh, have got plenty of talk. They've got all the talk. They've got all these claims. So they claim to know God. But John says... Verse 4, their actions betray that because they disobey God. They do not do what he commands. They claim to live in God. Verse 6, what do their actions show? Well, the inference here is that they look nothing like Jesus. And their third uh, claim, they claim to be in the light. But what does verse 9 say about their actions? Well, They don't love the brothers and sisters, but they hate them. And so John's verdict is that they're fakes. So he says they're liars in verse 4. Again, the implication is that they do not live in Jesus, verse 6. And verse 10, they, they walk around in the darkness. They're stumbling in the darkness, and they don't know where they're going because they're blind. Now, for John's readers left behind... This is something of a a, a reassurance for them. But for those who have left, it's a bit of a punch in the gut, isn't it? Because they're claiming we're the enlightened ones. We're the ones who have got an intimate knowledge with God. We're the ones who have the progressive uh, thinking and theology. And John comes along and says, nah, they're blind. They're stumbling around in the dark. They don't know what they're doing. They've left us and they've gone into the world. And the reason why they've left is because they're fake Christians. And the reason why they're left is because they hate you. As a pastor, um, people um, occasionally come and, come and go for, from a, for church and there's often some really good reasons why why people are, are leaving, uh, moving away and, and things like that. Um, but some not so good reasons as well. And I distinctly remember a particular time when I went to, to view, 
to, to chat to a couple who were saying that they were going to leave the church and, and asking them about and saying if there's anything we could do to sort of uh, help them and, and, try and, and try and see if there's sort of any valid criticisms in, in what they were saying. But I remember them um, describing um, the church here like a number of years ago, um, like a plane at 30,000 feet. And they said, what, what this plane's going to do is it's going to, it's going to come down slowly and crash, and there's going to be this great conflagration, and uh, that's, that's the trajectory of, of the church. And um, what particularly struck me as I remember that conversation was that there wasn't really any sadness about that. There was a glee. It's almost as if that's what they wanted to happen. And it dawned on me, the reason that they were leaving us is that they hated us. Well, I, I, do, I do pray that that was just a, an aberration and that that attitude is, has changed now. But I think that was the truth of it at that time, at least. It's often actually much more subtle than that. Again, I remember um, as I was training for ordination within, within the Church of, of England uh, a few years ago now, and uh, you get packed off to send somebody called a DDO, a Diocesan Director of Ordinance, and they kind of interview you, and they probably think that you're theologically too narrow. And so what they do is they send you off for these chats with all of these people who try and sort of broaden you out a bit. And, and I remember these, um, these, these chats, and they, they kind of went along the same kind of format. They were very pleasant. They were all lovely people who I, who I met. And at some point in the conversation, they would say something like, well, I used to be an evangelical. I used to be a, a Bible uh, believer. Or, oh yeah, you go to, you go to that, um, that church. I've really learned a lot from evangelicals over the years. And of course, the, the implication of what they were saying was, well, I used to be that, but I've now moved on. I've now, I've now grown up. And um, the truth is, says John, that that kind of attitude betrays the fact that these people have run ahead and they've left Jesus behind and they now disdain those who have those biblical convictions that John says marks out the real believer. And so as ordinary Christians, we don't need to be experts to spot the fakes. Because although the claims to know God are invisible, we can't see the reality it's, it, directly, their actions and their attitudes make the invisible claims visible for us to see. The harshest criticism often comes, actually, from those who say that they used to be Bible-believing Christians. But John says the reason they moved on is because they hate us. They hate the, 
the doctrine of the apostles that Jesus handed on, and they hate those who cling to those doctrines. And so because they hate us, and because God is a God of love, we can see that those claims are fake. That's the negative, polemical side of the passage. Let's turn now to think about the positive, pastoral side that I think will encourage us this morning. And it's this, that those who do know God love other Christians. And this is John's claim about his readers, that they do know God. Verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And that word, if there, isn't supposed to make us sort of um, doubt, you know, do I or, or don't I. It's, you could equally translate it. We've come to know, we know that we've come to know him when we keep his commands. He's not trying to undermine those he's writing to and say to them, are you really a Christian? It's often preached that that way, but he's not trying to do that. He's trying to reassure them. It's not a test for them so much as a certificate to show that they've passed. Some of us will uh, have had this experience um, fairly recently. You've been uh, in, in an exam and just remember how you felt as you went into that exam, rather nervous, I suspect, and uh, maybe you even left the exam rather nervous. And you think, well, I think I did okay. Or, or maybe you even thought I did a complete disaster there. And um, your emotions were all of a jumble. And then the day came when um, you were probably emailed or the letter came through the door with, with your results. And hopefully you opened those results and you got what you wanted. And it was just a huge relief. I guess many of us can empathize with that kind of experience, that contrast of emotions. I think often we read 1 John as if it's the test we're about to do, rather than it being the certificate that we're, or the results that we're about to, that we've just received. And I think John is wanting to show us the second that it's the results. And this should bring relief And reassurance for his readers and for ordinary Christians that we are the real thing. And it should show us that the levers are fake. You see, it does both. Remember when I received my results at at Warwick Uni? It seems a little bit cruel looking back on it now, but they used to take all of the results... And they would publish them, um, and they put them outside the art centre. And you could go and see, so you could go and see uh, whether you passed or failed, and you can see whether everybody else passed and failed as well. Rather concentrates the mind when you know that that's what's going to happen. Helps with the revision. But John has a twin purpose. He is wanting to expose the fake. Put it up so that all can see, so that it's public. But at the same time, to encourage the real Christian as well. Now, on what basis can he encourage 
On what basis um, does he say that somebody is the, a real Christian, those he's writing to? Well, he says, verse 5, here's the evidence, that they obey God's commands. Now, this can't mean that they obey perfectly, because otherwise what he said back in chapter 2, verse 1, about sinning um, would be a contradiction. So he can't mean perfect obedience, but he says, yes, you know, you do obey God's commands. Why? What does that look like? Well, verse 6, because you live as Jesus did. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean? Okay, I obey, obey the commands, live as Jesus did. What does it mean to live as Jesus did? And again, we know that we don't match up to him anywhere near. Well, verse 10. Here's what it, what it means to obey the command. Here's what it means to live as Jesus did. It means this. It means to love. You love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And this has always been the identifying mark of a true believer. That you love your brothers and sisters. That's the mark of the true believer. And that um, is what I think all of this stuff about the new and the old commands about. There's an apparent contradiction here, isn't there? Verse 7, I'm not writing a new command, says John. Yet, I am writing a new command, he says. I think the command that's in view here is Jesus' command in John chapter 13. When Jesus wrote to the disciples and said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, love has always been the mark of a true believer. Uh, Love for other believers. Of course, that command when Jesus spoke it was new. When he spoke it, it was new, new to them. Because Jesus was exemplifying what it meant to love. But now, 60 years later, when he writes, when John writes, it's no longer new, but it's old. That's how it can be both new and old at the same time. But love for fellow believers is always, always has been the mark of the true believer. And John says, here's the point, this command, its truth is seen in him, in Jesus. But here's the staggering thing that he writes. It's seen in him and it is seen in you. You love like Jesus loves, and therefore you are a true believer. And that is designed to bring great reassurance. See, John is writing, he's saying, the results are in, guys, and you've passed with flying colors. You ordinary Christians who struggle with sin and struggle to love your brothers and sisters, but aim and, and, and do love your brothers and sisters, you have passed. If anyone obeys, love for God is truly made complete in them, verse 5. And the then, says, Jesus, uh, says John, you are that them. 
You love God. And here's how I know, because you love your Christian brothers and your Christian sisters. Its truth is seen in him and in you. You walk in the light and there is nothing to make you stumble. And again, great reassurance to ordinary Christians. It should be great reassurance for us uh, this, this morning. I know that we, we often ask, and real Christians regularly ask, am I a real Christian? Is my Christianity authentic because I fall so far short of what I know I, I ought to be? But John says, no, you've passed. You do love the brethren. You do love your fellow brothers and sisters. Not perfectly, not consistently, but, but when it comes down to it, you don't wish them any ill. You wish the best for them. You really, you really do. You get it wrong so often and you struggle to love certain people. I, I know that. But... But the fact that you're struggling to love them shows that you want to love them. Your, your desire is to serve them. You know that you're going to be side by side in the presence of Jesus with them. And you serve them practically. I guess those of us who struggle with our assurance might well be thinking of that particular person whom we've had a falling out with. And um, we know that there's a relationship that needs to be um, fixed, and maybe we think, "Oh goodness, does that mean I'm, I'm not a real Christian?" No, the fact that you want to fix that relationship, even if you, perhaps you've already tried and you've, it's just been so difficult to do, but you're still trying and you're still praying for it. The fact that you want to fix it, the, the fact that you might even go and do that this week or even today after the service, you'll, you'll try and fix that relationship. It is a sure sign that you are like. And live like your saviour, the Lord Jesus. Because you remember that he was hated by the world. But he was, went full stretch in his love for his brothers. Hanging on that cross. Making atonement for our sins. And, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. For anybody, even this morning, who will come to him. He will forgive your sins and you will have fellowship with him. And you can join a fellowship of his people, one like this. A fellowship of love. Certainly not perfect love. But nonetheless a fellowship of love. You see, if you can't fix a relationship, you at least have the desire to fix that relationship. And that is the hallmark of a true believer. At the end of uh, the TV show, uh, you find out uh, which is uh, the fake painting. I'd really love to have a go and see if I can, I can do it. But often the, the experts are left red-faced. The majority of them certainly are. But us ordinary Christians need not be red-faced at all because we can spot the fake Christian with relative ease, if we ask two questions. When there is division, when there is disagreement between Christians, there's two things we need to ask. 
The first thing we need to ask was from last week. To ask the question, well, there's this division over here. Who is, who is acknowledging their sin in this situation? Who is expressing the fact that they need Jesus to be their saviour for them? And who isn't? That's the first question. But from today, the question is, in this division, who is looking out for the needs of others in the situation? Who actually loves their fellow believers in this situation? That's the test. In this passing darkness, there are plenty of claims to knowledge of God. But John reminds us that when Jesus came, the light came. And the light is already shining. And that means that right here and right now, we can be reassured that we are the genuine thing. And we can also spot those who aren't. And one day, every claim to know God will be seen for what it is, whether real or fake. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this enormously helpful and reassuring letter. Thank you for shining your light this morning as we've looked at it and trust understood it together and uh, we pray that you would help us to grow in our discernment so that when there is a difference and division and disagreement we would be asking the right questions and we pray that we would grow also in our reassurance that we belong to you and grow too in our love for one another that we might live increasingly as Jesus lived. And we pray this in his name. Amen.